You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast on a mission to find out what marketing strategies and tactics the top fintech companies in the industry use to acquire real customers, build a brand and grow revenue. I'm Araminta, your host for today, a marketing consultant, admin studios and partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. In this episode, I'm chatting with Brian McCarty, Director of Marketing at Move. Brian is a two-time founding SaaS team lead and has experience working as both a product manager and a product marketer at companies such as Jack Henry and Bano. What is Move? Move is a company that helps developers accept, store, and disperse money. They're a platform built by developers for developers with a focus on delivering exceptional user experiences. In December last year, they raised $27 million in a Series A round led by A16Z. In this episode, we chat about what fintechs miss when it comes to customer experience, how to stand out in a world of integrations and APIs, and Move's approach to creating and publishing content. Let's hear from Brian. So, Brian, you're actually the second fintech marketer that's been on this podcast who's also into music. I'd love for you to tell us like your own involvement in music and maybe your from your own perspective, what do you think fintech and music have in common? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, well, I grew up in my in my younger days uh, as a kiddo uh, in junior high, high school grew up in the metal punk rock scene uh, and did that whole thing. So that was typically my Friday, Saturday nights is going to local punk rock shows. Um, played in some bands uh, up through college, uh, got heavily involved in college and kind of decided it was time to, you know, just focus on college. So kind of stopped doing the music thing for a while. Uh, and then you know, fast forward a bunch of years now, you know, uh, family guy, uh, career and kind of just started it back up uh, with some other guys. So I, uh, I, I scream in a hardcore uh, metal band. Yeah, I heard. I um, heard. <laughs> and actually, just last night we just uh, practiced. I was just telling you we uh, just got together for the first time in an in over a year. So uh, my voice is a little, it's a little tired <laughs> out, but it felt great. Um, but what does music have to do and relate to fintech? Um, I don't know, but for me, it's uh, it's such a creative outlet. Um, and it's it's just this space that I love to go to to think through a problem, and I and I do that with running as well. But I can't tell you how many times you'll have some problem we're trying to solve at work, or some messaging thing, or whatever, and it's just kind of tucked in the back of your head. And then you go and you do this other thing, whether it's running or screaming your head off at band practice, and you're not really focused on that thing that's tucked back there. But when I you know my drive back home. Or after my run, uh, it like it kind of like comes to the forefront and it like solves itself. Or it's like, oh, yes, that's that's what I needed. So I, you know, I, I think you go to these other places, the other creative places or other outlets, exercise outlets, and they help you solve you know work problems. And uh, I've just always appreciated that. And it's somehow that helps you know bring some of those those nuggets you're kind of wrestling at work like to the forefront, and you kind of have a, a new perspective on it the next day. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, when I asked this question to Alex, the co-founder of Chip, he was saying that both are like lifestyle 
And fintech is becoming more of a lifestyle thing where music is becoming more of a transactional thing. And I thought it was a very oh, interesting, that's interesting point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, do you think fintech is becoming more and more lifestyle? I know move is B2B, but even, and we'll talk about this later in the episode, there's a lot of community and there is a bit of a lifestyle thing going on there. So would you agree with that, that fintech is just becoming this this uh, lifestyle I, I do, I definitely. And w- if you look at the number of v- really niche, uh, call them whatever you want, Neo banks, Challenger banks, uh, whatever, these niche entities coming to market, it's fantastic. I mean, if you are really into the environment and you want to put your money into uh, a Neo bank that uh, you know supports uh, planting trees or whatever, like you can do that today, right? That was not the case so long ago, right? But no matter what you're into, I feel like there is an offering for you. And I think that just makes sense. It's like, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm really into this thing. And oh, wow, there's a, this cool digital bank uh, that's also with that same community. So yes, hundred percent agree. Yeah, definitely. It's like part of your personal brand in a weird way. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting yep. topic and, and we'll get to it in a bit. What I love to like talk about is kind of, you write a lot of articles about customer experience and how a lot of companies, I guess, fintech and any other industry in general, they focus a bit too much on individual touch points rather than like the overall experience. And you talk a lot about how important it is to view the entire thing from start to finish, the entire experience. So how have you approached that at Move and how do you think other founders and companies can make sure to always have that big picture in mind? Yeah, it's 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 something you hear a lot of folks talk about, right? Like this complete product experience. And I think it's really easy to talk about, but I it's hard to do. Like when you really unpack that statement, it's like, no, we literally mean the entire thing this entire journey is the product, right? So that very first interaction a customer has with you, and no matter what form it, it's in, if it's at an event, if it's just f- finding your website, if it's you were mentioned in a news, someone else's newsletter, that's the first interaction. That's part of your product, right? So everything from customer service to having fantastic, you know, docs. Uh, I feel like docs are becoming the new product, right? Like all the, you know, these API companies uh, like ourselves, like, the docs themselves, how beautiful they are and how easy they are to understand, like that's becoming the product. And even all the way to when a customer says, hey, we're no longer going to use your service and we actually want to export our data or end our relationship, whatever. It kind of stinks, right? But that's part of the experience too, right? Like that's part of the product as well. Like how well do you help that customer get their data and move on to their the next solution they're doing or if they're shutting down shop or whatever it may be it, it doesn't really matter but it's like are you are you really do you really mean that when you say like yeah we're, we're we look after the whole product experience so at move we're trying to think of that i mean we're we're in startup days so we're just getting stuff started and just rolling out our product to beta customers but it's like the the attention care energy that we put into our community and into our, our doc site, like it's unbelievable. And we're just getting started. So we're trying to think of, of each each and every one of those steps along the way. Definitely. And, and would you agree with the fact that B2B, like businesses are looking for more B2C-like experiences? So as a person, you go to Google, you go to Instagram, you go to Amazon, and you have an amazing customer experience. But then suddenly when you're a business and you're doing procurement, the entire experience is a headache, a nightmare. You have to print out facts, do tons it's, of crazy stuff. It's a circus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's just crazy. And we're seeing this shift towards kind of like marketplaces are a good example. B2B marketplaces where suddenly businesses are demanding 
I want the same amazing customer experience as customers. Is that something you're seeing? It is. And it's, I don't know what's forcing it. It's maybe that we all have just realized, like, let's forget the acronyms because behind every business is, oh, people. And we all want those same experiences, right? Like we all, like the apps you mentioned, we all use those apps every single day. So why wouldn't we want that same experience at our, our at our job? Like those lines between like, oh, this is personal and oh, this is business. Like they just need to go away. It's all, we're all, it's all just life. And, you know, like, yeah, I if I have this amazing experience on these apps, like I would expect that same experience from these other apps that I just happen to use for my day job. It should be no different. So I think we're all just waking up and saying, yeah, it's just, it's just life and we're all people and some of us uh, sell stuff to other businesses and some of us sell stuff straight to consumers, but it's all, we're just all trying to provide value to each other. Yeah. And at Move, you're essentially doing that, right? Because it's B2B, but you're providing just an amazing and ex- excellent customer experience or business experience. Yep, exactly. And and for us, we're really targeted at developers, uh, being a, a developer tool, you know, built by developers for developers. So we're definitely taking a, a bottom-up approach. You know, that developer uh, is not going to be the, the buying decision. Like, they're not going to sign the contract uh, with Move. But our goal is that, you know, they can discover Move, uh, get API keys, uh, get a sandbox, build something, over a couple hours or over a weekend. And then internally at their company, right, they're going to their VP of sales or, or whoever makes those decisions and is saying, oh my goodness, I just found Move. It's amazing. I built this thing in like two hours. Please go do it. You know, go talk to their sales team, right? Um, but yeah, we're very much focused on, on those developers and just giving them an incredible experience to, to do what they want to do. Not have to worry about payments, but just build more experiences within their product and let us handle all the, the payment junk. Yeah, I love that. Well, we'll we'll touch on that in a bit. But actually, I'm I'm curious in terms of we so we just talked about customer experience. What do you think, and the importance of looking at it as a whole? What do you think is like something that fintechs seem to forget? You mentioned like when you're the relationship is ending and someone wants to take their data and leave. I can think of a couple of media companies, for example, that make it incredibly difficult to leave, and that's t- horrible. So, can you think of any like in the fintech industry? What is like a touch point that you know, the the companies seem to forget? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. There's a lot of fintech apps um, don't roll their own technology, right? And they have other vendors they're using or they're an abstraction of something else. And I, I know more about that than I should because I've worked in this industry, um, but you can feel that in, in certain apps. So the, the app for this uh, new Neobank may be amazing, awesome design, but you can feel it when you get to certain parts of the experience, whether you're trying to take a picture of a check and deposit it, right? And you can kind of feel like, yeah, it's it's in the app and it's there, but it's like, and again, maybe it's just I know too much about behind the scenes, but it's like you can feel that little piece is, is an, an abstraction or it's like, oh, they, they didn't build that tech. They're using someone else's tech. There's something It's just, it's slow or, you know, so I pick up on those little nuances. But another area that I probably spend way too much time looking at is just when you are signing up for some of these things and like the terms and conditions. And I think it's really interesting how different companies relay that information to you. So a lot of times, and we've all done it, right? It's a big like, oh, you have to check this box before you can sign up. And it's, we all just scroll down and yeah, whatever. But other companies are way, like they really call it out. So I just think, I I don't necessarily know if there's a right or wrong way to do it, but I think it's interesting the different approaches companies take when, especially as a, a challenger bank or a digital bank where 
you're not the bank, but your you know your funds are being held at uh, you know an actual bank with a charter, uh, and just how how do you relay that type of information to the user? It's like, hey, you're you're using our brand, but actually your money's held somewhere else. Like, do you try to hide that information, or do you are you upfront about that and you really explain the experience and what's happening? And I just think there's a really there's different approaches to do that, and it's really interesting to kind of unpack those little little tiny details, uh, and then. Just think about like, well, how does that relate to the the digital brand of that thing that you're signing up for? Yeah, I love that. So making TNCs easy to understand. And it's true, it's yeah. quite rare. And those fintechs who do it, you really feel like they have your best interest at heart because they're kind of trying to make it easy for you. And I, I do notice it when a fintech does that. Not many do it, to be honest. And I think there is probably probably even B2B. I, do any B2B fintechs do that? I don't think so. No. no, I don't think so. <laughs> There's honestly. an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Well, there. It shows you, huh? Um, in in some in one of your articles, you also talk a lot about um, positioning and branding, and I love what you say how branding or, or positioning has to be consistently changing or constantly changing, and that marketing is actually a bit like a product. You have to keep improving your marketing and evolving. So I'm curious, what are like the systems you've put in place at Move to make sure that you're like evolving continuously? Your marketing is continuously evolving. Yeah, I definitely, I've always thought of marketing that way. It's like marketing's a product too. It's like you, just like you're going to ship a new feature. It's like, yeah, we're going to ship a new thing, an update on the website or a social campaign or a sales deck or whatever it may be. And you want to get it out there in the, in the world. You want people to react to it. And then so you can come back to it and say like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. People are it's resonating with people or it's like, oh, that missed the mark. We need to revisit it At move. The, the systems we have in place today for that kind of continuous feedback are really just a tight review cycle with the people using those things. So our, our head of sales, uh, you know, I have a tight uh, sync with him where we're meeting every week and just having a conversation and i know like that's like bare bones it's it's not some crazy tooling we're using it's literally just relationships with the people you know on the leadership team and it's having conversations and i know that sounds so simple but you'd be shocked at how many people don't do that they marketers produce things and then they just go away and they focus on the next thing the next big campaign the next big website overhaul whatever but they don't ever go back and like proactively check in with that sales team they'll hear from the sales team you know when they come screaming at them and it's like oh we need this and that because salespeople always need new things or whatever right so i think it's kind of flipping that model and being more proactive and you going back and you really caring about the thing that you helped create and saying hey is that working hey can i sit in on your next demo i'm not going to say anything but i just want to hear how you're using those slides and i want to hear you know, where you're getting hung up or what, how's, how's that prospect reacting to it, right? So it's, it's taking that proactive uh, position and really working with you, that sales team or, you know, your customer success team, whoever's using that stuff that you're helping create and really treating it like a product and kind of going in that user research mode. So then you can go back and make updates to it and, and make it better. So essentially you're encouraging a lot of collaboration. It is. And that's, it's like, that's the simple answer, but it's like, well, yeah, that just makes sense. And you assume like, well, yeah, everyone does that, but it's like, no people, you Mm -hmm. know, we're marketers, we get busy and we get excited about the next thing. And it's, it's easy to just create stuff and pump stuff out, but it really takes a discipline to slow down and say, no, what about like, let's go check in on that thing. Like I haven't heard, how's it going? And are they even still using that thing or wait, what are, 
is anyone going to that landing page anymore? Like, let's revisit it, you know, and have a conversation about it. Do you do you ever worry about falling into the trap of shiny object syndrome? Because I, I swear that's what would happen to me. Like, you're talking to, about such cool ideas every single week. I'm sure there's a new idea every week. How do you make sure, okay, but what we're doing is actually working. Let's stick with that. Or, oh, that's a good idea. Let's do it. Or maybe let's not do that. It does happen for sure. And especially in early startup days, you you definitely, there's lots of trial because you, you think, and I'll just use a sales deck or a pitch deck as an example. You, you have a sales deck with some slides and yeah, it's like, yeah, let's just use this. And it's easy to assume like, well, it's working because we're getting a bunch of leads in the door and uh, our head of sales is having awesome conversations. Uh, so it can be hard. And I think you really just have to go back to your immediate objectives and goals. You know, at Move, we're big on OKRs. And it's like, well, what are we really focused on this quarter or this even break it up into half years, like the next six months, right? Because it's so easy to paint pictures of what we might be doing three years from now or five years from now, right? And there's a place for that. There's definitely a place for vision and uh, casting like, hey, where we're heading. But you also have to get really practical and say, here's what's live today. Here's what's going to be real in six months. Here's what's going to be real in 12 months. Uh, and it can be easy to spend too much time on the vision and kind of the the cloudy stuff of like, yeah, we're going to go do all this. Uh, and I really like finding that threshold and saying, yeah, we're going to go do all this, but let's get honest with each other for a minute and really get clear on what's live today and what's coming, you know, in the next quarter or two. Yeah, I like that. So to shift gears a little, uh, at Move, you're essentially democratizing payments. You're making payments available to everyone. And I love that. And that's also a big part of open banking. We talk a lot about that here in the UK. Yep. And a question that keeps coming up in my own head, because I write a lot about this, is in a world where everything is integrated and there's APIs, uh, through APIs and stuff like open banking, how can fintech companies or brands stand out? Because if, for example, a payment is integrated into every single item I buy, Monzo, for example, or Starling just ceases to exist because I'm just buying, that's it. As a brand, they disappear, kind of. So how, is that a problem? And if it is, how can fintechs make sure that it doesn't like affect them? Yeah, it's it's so interesting that we've, we've made this shift of, I mean, it's really fun to say like, yeah, APIs now are becoming the product. It's like, who would have guessed that, right? Like that all these API companies are like the hot new thing and you constantly are going to different companies doc site and like oh look at their look at their documentation like that's the world we live in and it's amazing right that we are geeking out on doc sites and comparing how you know elegant documentation is right for this api or how quick can i get my my api keys like it's amazing like who would have thought this is the world we would have been in um for us one uh kind of different approach we've taken is I mean, I think that's one aspect, right? Is just having amazing doc sites. Uh, and that's something we're trying to do at Move. But it's also for us, we have a unique position because Move really started out as a passion project for for Wade, our, our founder. And he started open sourcing some of these low-level banking protocols on GitHub. And that's really where Move started. It was like just a passion project. And then all of a sudden, it like became a really small community. They started a Slack group. Okay, and now it's like, oh, wow, there's more and more people who are trying to figure this stuff out. And now today there's over, you know, 1900 people in our public Slack group. But the the cool thing is we take some of those uh, stories from the Slack channel and it's like, oh wow, this person or this group is doing something really interesting with our open source. 
and let's you know let's tell their story right it, it's nothing about the the move product or the move platform and uh it's really just about like look how we are helping each other right and it's helping tell that story so i think that's one thing that we have going that's a little bit different like yes you can have amazing doc sites and you can have amazing quick access to get an api key and uh, you know get going as quickly as possible that you can do all that stuff I think one unique approach we've taken is that community first. I mean, Wade started the community and he hired uh, Graham, who runs our community, before I was at Move. So it was really, I mean, even before there was a marketing entity inside the company, there was a community entity. And that was a very early hire and that was very, very intentional because we believe in the community and we know that we're all just trying to help each other uh, because this stuff is super complex. So let's just be that platform or that space that we can provide that answering questions and helping each other out. This episode is sponsored by Growth Gorilla, a growth marketing agency focused exclusively on working with fintech startups and scale-ups. Taking a holistic approach to driving growth, they have worked with over 25 brands from crowdfunding to automated business finance. You'll be in a safe pair of gorilla-sized hands. Check them out at growthgorilla.co.uk. Ready to catalyze your fintech's growth? Yeah, so I love that because you're saying that one great way to stand out is community. And yep. I know that that works really well for you because you're essentially marketing to developers. I have two questions. Yep. I'm not sure which one to start with. Um, the first one, okay, I'll start with this one. Uh, in a previous episode of this podcast, um, I asked the CMO of Marketa, this question, um, how do you market to developers? And she said something very interesting. She said, marketing and developers is an oxymoron. <laughs> you don't market to developers. <laughs> developers talk to other developers. And I think that's something you've done really well at Move is essentially you've built that community where developers are talking to each other in this Slack group. And that's essentially doing your marketing. But as you said, there's no sales, there's no promotion because you don't need that. And even if you did do it, it would probably be negative, like it would probably negatively impact move. Um, so I guess my question is kind of, do you agree with that? I do. As you were asking that question, my my answer, if you'd asked me that, like, how do you market to developers would be similar. It would be, you don't, period. You just don't. Like, uh, I mean, depends what your definition of marketing is. And I guess that's a take a step back. My definition of marketing is, is different. It, it is building a community. And it's being very intentional. And uh, of course, I'm in that Slack group and I participate, but it's never, I'm never, you you wouldn't know I was the marketing guy at Move. You would just think I'm, maybe I work at Move, but like you might guess I'm a designer or engineer. Like I'm never pitching Move, just in there answering questions or to telling people about uh, an event um, that's, it might not even be related to Move. It's just like a cool fintech event or whatever, right? Um, but yeah, you don't, ones, yeah. yeah, you don't market to developers. You, you build the community um, and really our marketing, quote unquote, comes through when really smart people from our team, including Wade, the founder, is answering really nerdy technical questions. That's the marketing that goes a long ways for a developer, right? It's like, oh, this guy Wade that I keep hearing about, like he really knows his stuff. Or, oh, wow, this guy Orlando, like he's a, a true payments expert. He works at Move. Wow, Move must know what they're doing. Like those are the little, mo and that's not intentional. Again, that's just us building the, the space and having the community and us being invested. So yeah, our founder, Wade, you will see him answering questions to these people like during the middle of the day right and it's like 
yeah, we're all in this to help each other. Uh, and then we're also, you know, another lever to just like say, like, we really believe in this community thing is we're putting on a huge fintech conference. So I guess that's another lever too. It's like, oh, well, move pulled together all these people, you know, the lead engineer of Cash App is giving a talk. Oh, this person from the crypto world's giving a talk. Oh, I know that person. Wow. So again, Move is trying to be just that connected thread and that platform, but we're not putting this conference on to talk about our product. It's like we're putting it on so other developers can learn from other developers. I mean, if you could go hear a talk uh, from the lead engineer at Cash App and you're just getting into payments as a developer or your company has just tasked you with like, hey, we want to put payments inside your our app, go figure that out. Like that'd be a pretty cool experience to you know, go listen in or go, you know, meet that team or go ask them questions. And again, it's all just, it's sponsored by Move. Yeah, but that's it, right? It's not, you're not there to learn about the the Move product. You're there to learn from these other industry experts. Yeah. And this push of community, I'm, I'm seeing it in quite a few fintechs and I feel like it's a very good correlation and probably causation of success in a fintech. But do you think it's something that every single fintech should do? Like, is it really a repeatable strategy? It depends. I think you. Yeah. It depends what you're you're starting that community out for, right? I think. I mean, I wasn't there when Wade, uh, you know, started the Slack group, but I imagine it was very like intentional and just like felt like the right thing. It's like, oh, we've got a few open source projects. Like, we should just start a Slack group and see if we can get others to come help us with it. You know. I think if that's the approach and it's very natural, like I think you're going to win and you're going to do it right. If you're sitting around with your marketing team and you're saying, well, we need a community and that's like on a checklist and it's like just this marketing thing, it's going to fail. Like it, it's got to oh, come man. from the right place, in my opinion. And you have to, you, that's not something you just hand off to like a marketing team. So we'll go build a community. Uh, again, it goes back to, you know, Wade hiring Graham, our technical community manager, very early on. So when it got to that point, it's like he... That's Graham's job is to nurture and take care of that community. Like that's what he gets paid to do. It's a fantastic gig, right? Like go yeah, nurture yeah. this community, make connections, uh, help put on this conference. Like we believe in community. So I think if, if it's coming from the right place, uh, you definitely can have a community. But if if the goal is just to tout numbers or to just kind of check that box, you know, it, it's probably not going to work out too well. That's very interesting. It's it's very much part of the culture, part of the brand. And and the reason I'm asking this is because I have come across a lot of fintechs where they have a job posting community manager. I mean, you could argue that if you're, but I, you know, when you meet them, maybe it's just, as you said, it's a checkbox. So you're saying essentially, you know, if you don't feel it yourself, like uh, if the founders are not not that interested, I mean, I guess maybe like a, a a good way of looking at it is, does the founder want to be involved in the community? If the founder isn't, is like, okay, that's just for the marketing people. And the founder is, does not want to be part of the community. Then you could argue not worth it. Yeah. That, that would be a good kind of uh, test threshold. Right. And yeah, yeah, that, that'd be a perfect way to do it. It's like, is this just going to be a marketing function or, you know, Mr. or Mrs. CEO or founder? Like, are you going to hop in this thing and answer questions and be engaged? You know, and if the answer is like, well, no, I'm never going to get in there. And then it's like, okay, well, let's, let's maybe mm -hmm. take a, a different approach or, or do something else. Yeah, that makes sense. And to be fair, the communities that I know, the fintech communities that I know that are successful, I think every single one has the founder inside it. Oh, let's see, that's I'm interesting. curious to hear. Yeah, yeah. but I, I'm not sure. I'm curious to hear a counter argument. I want to see if there is one without it. So 
Yeah, there's also a, a question of just if it's really coming from the right place, you have to ask like, what value is this bringing? Like, is there, mm-hmm. are we doing something different that's really needed in the world right now? Like that doesn't exist. And I think that's why our community started. We felt, uh, and maybe we're wrong, but we felt there wasn't a space for developers to go talk about fintech stuff. Mm-hmm. We didn't We didn't see that community existed. So that's really why we created it. If, if you're like, oh, so-and-so, our competitor has a community, we need mm-hmm. one too. It's like, well, that that community already exists. If you know, so maybe the world doesn't need that thing. And this, I mean, a, a personal example is I, uh, and you'll you'll appreciate this. A, a while ago, I bought the domain uh, fintechmarketers.com. So I've owned that for a couple <laughs> years because I'm like, it was available. I'm like, well, why not? You know, I have a problem with mm-hmm. buying domains like that. And I've wrestled a few times I've like thought about over the last couple of years, like spinning up a, a Slack group or spinning up a community. And each time I pressed on it, I just, I found these other uh, amazing fintech marketing communities. So for me personally, I got to this point of like, w- why? Like those things already exist in the world. I should just f- give this domain to one of these other entities or partner with them or, you know, take a step back. I, we, the world already has a couple of fintech marketing communities. Maybe we need more. I don't know. But I just reached that point where it was like, I don't need to compete with them. Like, I, I'll just hold on to this domain and do something else with it down the road. But uh, it's just what a... What are you going to do with it? I don't know yet. So if you have ideas, <laughs> let me know. Because I, I have ideas and then I just, I, I tuck it back away. So let me know if you well, want to talk about that. <laughs> I mean, it's funny you say that because... I, I'm not sure that's true. Like, I think there is not enough, there are not enough resources about fintech marketing. And this is why we started this podcast. And this yeah. is why Annie and I are doing this fintech marketing hub community. We don't actually think there there are enough. So I'm. it's interesting that you say that you found already so many, because I don't know which ones you're you're talking about. Yeah, I think, and, and maybe community was uh, too strong of a word. I think I uh, my original ideas was uh, very niche plays, uh, like having a Slack group. Um, and I, I bumped up against a, a couple other uh, Slack groups that existed. Um, but then it's it's one of those things, like you buy a domain, you have ideas, but then you never really, you know, like push on it or really spend the time to really like scope out the, the project in your head or you just get excited about owning the, the domain or whatever. Um, but I, I agree. Again, it's like we talked about APIs being the hot new thing. And this place that we're getting to with fintech marketing is amazing. And I, you know, in some ways I agree with you. It's like, we need more of this. Like, these are our people, like, right? Like this, I could talk about this stuff all day long and, you know, meet with folks like you like all day long and hang out. And the more we can do of this, the you know, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Well, if you do want to do something, I can put you in. Well, you. I don't know if you're ready. I'll put you in touch with Annie, and she can probably the FinTech Marketing Hub. I mean, yeah, that'd be great. Together. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to talk now a little bit about content because I know you're quite big on content, and you have some interesting thoughts on it. I'm going to read out a quote from some from one of your articles because I really liked. <laughs> I really liked what you wrote and it was honestly a breath of fresh air when I read it. And you're, so this is the quote, stop worrying about clicks or gathering new email addresses. Start focusing on impact. Ask yourself if what you're posting brings value to your community. If you're just looking to increase page views or to get more leads, stop. You're better than that. Create content with purpose. So yeah, <laughs> as a content marketer myself, I, I love that. Yep. And, and I agree. I completely agree. And I actually create a lot of content just for the 
I actually selfishly, I create a lot of content because it helps with my own thinking. And I think you might be a bit like that too. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. So sometimes I don't even care. Like I just don't, don't care. For Mint Studios, I will write content, don't care what happens to it. However, I also have clients, right? And fintech companies have investors and founders that need like numbers, results. They're putting in money. How do you explain that to them? Because they're gonna be like, oh yeah, sounds amazing, but we need an ROI here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, f- I feel like that statement was my own. I'm not saying I'm perfect. Like I feel like I'm like you. Like I write a lot with, and for myself, like to remind myself about that, right? Like because I certainly get hung up with like, oh, let's let's tweet this because that's gonna drive here, or like, oh yeah, let's use this for the headline because that's that's a little clickbaity and that's gonna get people to you know what we all deal with it as marketers. So a lot of the stuff I write is like a message to myself so I can do what you just did. Like, so I can force myself to go back and read that and like remind myself like the, the right thing to do or whatever. Um, for us at, at move, I guess to answer your question directly, it, it sometimes comes back to questioning, well, what is that metric? Sometimes it is clicks and like, what is that ROI? Um, and it's really just aligning on, well, does that, does that metric even matter? And that's a, that can be a big, question to unpack with a, with a client or with a founder or, or you know because it's so easy to say clicks or like you know filling out a lead form or whatever right but it's like you could let's take a step back and say like does that even matter if we say we got x number of thousands of people to the website like what's the real metric that we're really trying to go for right now and one thing that we've done at move is we've started uh you know we're high growth startup hiring like crazy. And so we needed a way to, we're trying to attract the best of the best, you know, uh, talent. So we created this series about why I joined Move and we've done a, a handful of them. But our our metric was that it's not a super tangible metric, but it's like we wanted to pull back the curtain. So as, you know, if you come across Move and you're thinking about applying, you keep hearing our name in the news, that's great. But it's like, what's really going to push you over? Maybe if you could talk to someone or hear their story and learn a little bit about why they ended up here or what they're working on, the, uh, you know, in their first couple months, you know, that's that's kind of cool. Like, and we've had time and time again uh, in the interview process, and that's really how we're measuring it is just kind of through conversation. Again, nothing magical, right? Like just that bare bones, having meaningful conversations. Time and time again, we uh, people are saying like, oh, I read that why I joined movie, uh, why I joined move story from so-and-so. And that really convinced me to apply. And so when I get feedback like that from our people team, it's like, okay, boom, that's, it's working. Yes, this series impactful. And yes, we're going to keep doing it. And that's my metric right there. I heard from our people team who does, who's, you know, coordinates all of our interviews and hiring and manages all that. Time and time again, she's told me like, oh yeah, this person loved Joel's story or oh, this person really loved this story. It's like, okay, the series is going to continue on. So I guess to summarize, it's like, let's sometimes you have to take a step back and like reconsider that metric. It's not always just clicks. It sometimes is like a really loose thing of like, I'm going to get feedback from our people team. And depending on that feedback, then we'll decide if we're going to keep investing in this piece of content or this series, or we're going to say, yeah, we're not really getting, she's not hearing anything. Let's, let's drop it off and, and, you know, think of something else. Yeah. I really like that. So you're saying that you're saying that you can just, yeah, a, a different metric, for example, is your 
how you're hiring and if you're hiring good quality content, uh, good quality, good quality uh, talent and in a weird way, because I'd never heard that before, like using content to uh, recruit. And I really like how that's a completely different metric. And that's kind of a good way of explaining to like the founders. Okay, sure, we don't have a huge amount of leads, but we've got good quality content uh, talent. So that's yeah, kind of your approach. It is. And it really speaks to where we're at as a company, right? Like uh, just Series A, so we're like in trying to get our product and our platform to market. So our, the most crucial thing for us right now is having the right team to go talent. build this thing. Yeah. yeah, it's talent, right? So it just makes sense too yeah, where we're at. It's like if, yes, and I'm sure down the road we will, uh, maybe that series will drop off when our, our team is 100 or 200 people. Maybe we still won't do it. I don't know. But right now it's like talent's crucial for us. We have to get the, the right team in place to go build this vision that we've you know cast out there. Yeah, that makes sense. And in terms of, because I, I obviously checked out your blog and you don't only have features, you also have other content on there. Is there any strategy behind that? Because I'm wondering, developers, are they really going on Google and researching? Probably not, right? They're probably, I mean, actually, I'm not sure. So I'm going to ask you, how, how do they find out? Do they find out through Google or through other developers, which is what we said before? Yeah, a lot through other, other developers. Um, and then uh, you know, we, we have our own blog, but we'll feature, uh, other people. Um, every once in a while we'll have a, a feature guest, you know, a, a guest writer come on. Um, and then we feature just, uh, uh, you know, wherever we're covered in the news, we have kind of a, a feed of all, all of that stuff happening too. But it's, it's amazing how far our personal networks can, can go and reach out. So we, it's kind of a down and dirty process, but when we write a new blog, we will, you know, I'm, I'm tearing back the, the curtain here a little bit, um, but we'll, we'll post it. And obviously the marketing team handles all that and we'll get it up on LinkedIn and, and on Twitter and whatnot. But then we always internally on our Slack, internal Slack channels, not the, the public one, but our company one, we'll post that in a marketing channel and we'll ask, you know, we'll say, hey, help us out. Go post and like it and reshare this as well. Maybe that's a, you know, maybe every company does that, but our team is super engaged. So it's really easy to go, you know, like or retweet the 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 move, you know, company move uh, tweet that just went out. But the number of our employees who will take the time, and by the time, I mean the two minutes, but still that's two minutes, right? And we're all lazy, uh, but we'll take the two minutes to grab, you know, that article and make their own tweet. So again, not just doing their a retweet, they'll go write their own tweet and share it with their network is incredible. And it's, it's nothing intentional that we as the marketing team ever said like hey when we post we want every move employee to do xyz it just kind of happened organically and i think it speaks to the content that's in that blog it's it's educational um and when you read some and just picking up one as an example our you know intro to ach payments or you know uh, some article about explaining real-time payments whatever it may be when it's written really well and it's got a useful graphic in it and you're you're proud of the the writer who wrote it and you feel like sharing it that can go a really long ways again the marketing team we didn't ask them to do that but i've just noticed it's been happening and then uh, you know on my linkedin feed i'm on there all the time scrolling it's like oh well that move employee posted that or oh wow this other move employees that's awesome like but that effect goes a really long ways because then that's now not the company posting it or the marketing guy posting it that's a developer posting it right and obviously in their network are other developers so if it's something that's you know he or she posted yeah i'm going to click on that and, and go check it out 
It reminds me of something that um, Jeannie Walden said. She's the CMO of Daily Pain. She said that you, as a B2B company, your brand advocates are your employees, not not like your your clients. And I love that because, yep. I mean, no one, I think we know that instinctively, but we I had never seen that written down. And I thought it was a really good approach when it's a B2C, you know, you go out there, find someone, shower them with, I don't know, incentives, and then they go and, or, or not, uh, they love your product and they talk about it. But when it's B2B, it's your employees. And yep. what I see is that move, you're really investing a lot in your employees and they are your brand advocates and they're going out and doing a lot of the marketing for you accidentally in a way, which is what you're saying. Absolutely. And I, I was having a conversation with someone the other day. We're just uh, tightening up our review process for our blog content. And, you know, I reached this point, uh, I've worked with Wade a long time and a, a few different stints, so I know him really well. But that's like my quality threshold, whether I'm writing it or someone else on my team is writing it or, or, or whatever. It's like, will Wade tweet this out? Like, that's my threshold. Mm. If he's not going to tweet it from his personal <laughs> Twitter account, it's not good enough. So that's like become our and my personal like QA. Like, so when I'm reviewing someone's uh, blog post, um, that's I'm asking myself that. And it's not like an ego thing, like, you know, we need the founder to uh, approve this. It's, it's like from a, Wade has a good following. He's really well respected in, in just the, in the industry and by the geek industry as well, or, you know, in the dev community as well. So it's like, if he's proud of this or he reads it and he's nodding his head or he likes it, or he thinks it's valuable, he will tweet it. If he doesn't like it or thinks it's just like, eh, whatever, it's fluff, he won't tweet it. Right. So like that's become my threshold. It's like, will Wade tweet this? And if, you know, I want the answer to be yes. He, it's not going to take a nudge from me, the marketing guy. He's going to, once we publish it, he'll read it. And then once, you know, he decides like, oh yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to go share it with my network. Like that's what I want every single time. Wow. And it really shows you how much a founder is completely at the core of a company. Like it's the personality of a, the personality of the founder is essentially the brand of the company, whether you like it or not. It is. It gets tricky too. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing in some regards, but you also reach this point uh, where it's like, okay, this, and I mean this in the the best way possible, but it, it can't just be the Wade Arnold show anymore. Like you, you scale too, right? And it's like, and you want your other leaders to be out there and, because otherwise you get hung up in this trap, but when you're in a, a big prospective meeting or whatever with a potential customer, it's like they only want to talk to Wade. And it's like, well, that's, Wade can't be uh, everywhere all that, you know, that doesn't scale, right? Like, of course, he's doing a bunch of pitches now and he's wherever he can be and he's a crazy busy guy, but it's like, that doesn't scale. So we need other people to kind of become the face. We need, uh, you know, that's why we're, we're, you know, Wade doesn't write a, a ton of stuff on our blog, but we have our other experts, right? Like we have Orlando, who we we featured, or uh, you know, our head of product has, has done some articles, right? So we slowly are going through that process as as well of trying to lever the the Wade Arnold uh, face and name as much as we can, but then also bring the rest of the company along as well and feature all these other amazing leaders and experts that we have internally. Yeah, it's a very interesting problem, and we could probably talk about that. That's a separate episode altogether. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so my last question for you, Brian, is you have written before about uh, feedback, how to collect feedback. And you say that in general, companies 
seem to not dig deep enough. Like they could do a lot more. So my question to you is, what is your personal favorite way of collecting feedback? Yeah, I love, I mean, it hasn't happened. Uh, when I was a, a product manager, I loved uh, just getting with people and going through the, whether you're putting mock-ups in front of them or taking them through a prototype. I love that entire process. And there's so much cool technology uh, today. You can do it virtually and you can uh, uh, you know, use all this tooling. But for me, again, thinking back to my PM days, it, there was nothing better than being in a room with someone and taking them through a prototype and like obviously hearing the words that they're saying out loud, but just watching their body language, watching their eyes and what they're looking at, like all that nitty gritty details. And just, this is going to sound silly, but just the energy of the person, like when you're in, when you're in a room or when you're talking with something, with some about something, I feel like you can pick up on someone's energy, right? And you like, sometimes you just click with someone like, oh, this is going to be a good conversation or like, oh, wow, they're really into this and they're smiling, right? Or whatever. So for me, I, I love doing that. Obviously, with the the state of the world and now move, we're you know fully distributed team, and uh, I'm you know in a slightly different role on the on the marketing side now, so I don't get to do that as much. But I love those moments of being in a room with someone and you know just doing that down and dirty work. It's like nothing. It's not using some new tool that lets you record a screen. It's like the most basic. Get with someone, uh, a user, and watch them use your product and ask questions. And sometimes if you're talking more than they are, you're doing it wrong. You want to sit back and give them enough to just watch, right? Like you don't want to, what do you think of this screen? And well, how about, would you pick this button or that? Like that's obviously the wrong way to do it, right? But you, you need to give them enough so that you can just sit back and watch their journey and kind of unpack those little details. And when they get hung up, then ask them, you know, and dig into those questions. I love that, that whole process. It's, it's really fun. Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for coming on. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, this has been really fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com. If you'd like to come on the podcast or just share some feedback, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We're always looking for ways to improve the podcast. That's all for today. See you next time.